Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. All right, here we go. So we're going to read uh, Philippians 4, 11, 13. You can turn to your Bibles if you have them. That would be really cool because then you can highlight and stuff. All right, here we go. Um, For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ or through him who gives me strength. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord God, you are good and you are faithful. Thank you for this day. May your uh, glory be known and may your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. This morning we're going to talk about simplicity, so I appreciate the simpl- simple nature of your prayer, Stephen. I want to start off with a story about complexity and then this discipline of simplicity, so we'll contrast the two. So a complex or complicated thing doesn't, if your life is complicated or complex, you don't have much time for other things. Let me hit you kids where you're at. Check up on the screen. Anybody's status on the Facebooks uh, complicated? Raise your hand if your status, don't make me go get your profile just to show you your own status. But if, you're, if your status is complicated, maybe there's a good reason for that. Um, Usually it's the case, it's like, you like somebody, they, they kind of like you, but you're not officially dating yet, so it's complicated. And if it's complicated in your life, if your day probably goes something like this. Oh my gosh, she just texted me. What did she text? Oh, it says, what are you doing? Oh gosh, I want to text back something really cool. What should I say? And you're like, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll give it a minute. I don't, I don't want to text back too early because then she'll think I'm too eager. So I'll wait a minute. But wait, what if she's in the room and she's texting me just to ask what I'm doing because she knows what I'm doing? Is she here? Maybe not. But now you're like, oh, wait, now I've waited too long to text her back. I, I need to text back something really cool, like I'm doing something cool. Maybe I'll text her, I'm doing the incline. <laughs> and you're like, but I'm not doing the incline, so I better not lie so what should I text her back? And then you're like, mine starts racing. It, raise your hand if you've been there, done that. Anybody? Okay. So that's complicated. And you're like, oh my gosh, what should I, this is, I, I, I'm interested, but I don't want to tell her that I'm interested. And it's just complicated. And you're finally just like, okay, I'm just going to text back, okay. So you text back, okay, send. And you're like, wait, that makes no sense. She just asked me what I was doing. And I said, okay. <laughs> and when your dating life is complicated like that, you don't have a lot of extra time in your life to think about other things. You don't have, you're probably distracted during work. You're probably distracted driving. You're always wondering and thinking. Things are complicated. And if things are complicated, then your life is, is full of things that don't allow you the space to do other things. So forget that analogy for just a second. Just think about a complicated life. If your life, if you're someone who is always busy, maybe like a lot of us, if you're someone who would say, oh, my, my whole life is complicated. I'm always doing something. I'm always checking something. I'm always multitasking. Well, then you're, if your life isn't simple, then I'm going to argue today, today's message is about the spiritual discipline of simplicity. I'm going to argue that, well, 
simplicity, let me say it this way, simplicity will give you the space to allow God to speak to you, to allow God to act. And so today's message is about simplicity. So welcome. Let me give you just a few announcements. Uh, Welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, there's cards on your table. You could fill one of those out. Bring it to the nice people uh, in the back. Steve or Jordan will probably be back there. They'll give you a bag. Uh, It's like a gift bag with like a book that our senior pastor, Brady Boyd, wrote, which by the way, he's been on sabbatical. Next week, next Sunday, he he will be back. Um, That's pretty cool. So you could get his book. Uh, he wrote a book called Sons and Daughters, and you could have that as a free gift. If you're new, so fill out that card. You can check uh, different boxes if you want to call or to be put on the email list. We'll send you information about the church. We won't harass you or anything. Um, and if you're new, you might not know that we go over and sit in Section 10 together right after this service. And uh, we think community is really important. So there's, there's small group flyers on your table listing the small groups for college and 20-somethings. There's a program called DLA. Any, anybody DLA fans? What? what? Um, so right outside in the lobby to the right is, a, is like a booth that says DLA. That's an internship, either part-time or full-time, uh, for, for really exercising the spiritual discipline. So we've been talking about DLA this month. Uh, Dan Perkins and then Amy Perkins uh, are going to speak next week and then the week after. It's, it's a really good program for practicing the spiritual disciplines in a group setting. I've referred to them kind of jokingly, only half jokingly, as like modern day monks and nuns here at New Life. Like their life, like literally, like they're dedicated. They live uh, sometimes, literally, I don't know if you know this, this building has like apartment rooms. Um, so literally they live here. They spend like days and nights, hours in prayer and in community, and and they share things, and it's really cool. So anyways, that's DLA. So enough with announcements. Let's get right into business. Let's talk about spiritual disciplines. Let me give back to you a discussion question. Um, I I think you guys have been doing really good with discussion. I've been getting good feedback that you like this time. So um, I've been encouraged to give you more and more um, kind of personal questions, and it seems like you guys do really good with these. So in, in line with that, somewhat of a personal question on lines of simplicity and simplifying our life, which is today's topic, let me get you thinking about that. So the question is, what are things you need to cut out of your life? It could be time, it could be a, a, an object, it could be what you do, it could be anything. Maybe the Lord puts upon your life right now, uh, convicts you, like, ah, I know I need to stop doing this or slow down this. What do you need to cut out of your life in order to be more simple? And I'm going to argue that that is a really good thing, to simplify your life because it creates space for God. So answer that question in your groups. If you're in a small group, jump in with a bigger group, more the merrier. So ready, get set, discuss. (laughs) And then I have a microphone if someone is willing. I realize that this is kind of a personal question, but if someone is willing to share, get us started I will, I will give them the opportunity with the mic. I'll hit Candace, and then I'll get you, Chris. Okay, shh. Miss Candace. I'm going to be honest, but I should probably cut um, a lot of the superhero and Star Wars stuff out of my life. <laughs> <laughs> superhero and Star Wars? Uh, raise your hand if the, that's also the case. Anybody? Be honest. Come on. Nerds in here. <laughs> Mr. Chris? I was saying that I need to cut out a lot of uh, video games because oh. that takes up time that God wants me to use for other things. Yeah. The, um, if I, I, I'll pick on someone. Caitlin, in the front there, we were talking. She said she needs to delete the Pinterest app from her phone. Anybody else? And then she did it. Like, right here, right now, she's like, I'm deleting this. This is conviction. 
<laughs> yeah, good. Well done. <laughs> Anyways, um, there's things that we need to cut out of our life to make our lives more simple. And Richard Foster, we've been talking about this book as kind of our, of course, our main text is the Bible. But we've been talking about this book all month. And if you're really nerdy, you probably already have it ordered or already have it. Um, and he lists all these disciplines. Here's the 12 he lists. Um, meditation, prayer, fasting, study is inward, outward, simplicity, solitude, submission, uh, service. And the last one, corporate, confession, worship, guidance, and uh, celebration. Last week, we went over celebration. The week before that, we talked about an overview. Uh, next week, Dan Perkins is going to talk about prayer, uh, discipline number two. And then Amy Perkins, uh, the week after that, is going to talk about fasting. And today... It's this discipline, uh, fifth down, the discipline uh, of simplicity. And Foster argues that this discipline is kind of paramount with all other disciplines and that we have to simplify our lives in order to make room to do some of these things. We have to simplify and kind of cut out things in our life that are distracting to us. Um, And this discipline, this is probably one of my favorite disciplines. A couple weeks ago, we kind of talked about which discipline comes easy for you. Uh, I think of um, people like Dan Perkins or any of the Perkins is really like prayer just kind of comes naturally. It's like, oh, naturally they enjoy prayer. I think of like Daniel Grothy. He's always just memorizing scripture. I don't know anyone that has memorized more scripture or can memorize scripture as easily as Daniel Grothy. I think of Erin Meadows, wherever she is, fasting. Like she's always fasting something. Uh, It's ridiculous. Um, um, in a good way. Um, I think of, I don't know, different people like, oh, you just naturally gravitate towards that discipline. And for me, this is just kind of one of my favorites. Like I enjoy simplicity. Um, I enjoy packing light. I enjoy uh, having less things. Like Eric and I are always getting rid of things. I uh, owned the same car in high school all the way up until last year, and I sold it to my boy back there, uh, David Leal. Um, and so it's like, I owned a car for 20 years. Who does that? It's like, well, it's just a part of simplicity and saving money. And maybe I'm a little cheap, but maybe it's just a part of being simple. Um, I might be the only person under 40 that you know that doesn't own a cell phone. Like I just, like years ago, like four or five years ago, I was like, you know, I don't even know if I need a cell phone. And then I got rid of it, which I know you're just all looking at me like, what are you talking about? Um, and so I haven't owned a cell phone for like four or five years. Um, and it's just like this idea of being simple. Like, oh, I'll make my calls when I'm at home or in the office or when I have Wi-Fi. I can make calls on my iPod. Anyways, I'll tell you about that later. Um, so anyways, simplicity just is kind of fun for me. Like I just naturally, I, like I enjoy simplicity. So it's a great pleasure today to talk about the discipline of simplicity. And Richard Foster, uh, and during his chapter on simplicity, says this. He says, the Christian discipline of simplicity is an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. Did you hear that? It's an inward reality, an inward decision, an inward thing, an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. And he says, both inward and outward aspects of this discipline of simplicity are essential. Because we might think that we are simple, like, oh, I live a very simple life. But then, like, someone else could point out, like, really? Like, what about this and this? And you're always doing two things, and you never have a spare moment. And, you know, you you think you have a simple life, but you're not acting like it. So really, you probably don't have a simple life. 
I put a poem. Uh, I rarely put poems on the back. The sweet quote today on the back of your notes is like uh, two stanzas worth of poem. And I usually just have like a one-liner quote, but today I put a whole poem as Kingfishers Catch Fire by Gerard Manley Hopkins. Pretty sweet middle name, if I do say so myself. Uh, Manley. Uh, anyways, and the poem goes on to say, it's, it's a Christian author of this poem, goes on to say, like the second stanza, stanza says, what more? The just man justices. Like that's what a just man does. If, if, if a just man doesn't act in justice, well then he's probably not a just man. And he says, uh, just man justices, he keeps grace and acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is. I don't know if you're into poetry, but this, if you want to get into poetry, this would be a great poem to sit down, reflect on, think about. It's got Christian principles of ideas of, well, if you are, let's say in this example, simple, if you, you're saying you're living a simple life, well, then your life should actually reflect that. If you're a Christian, well, then your Christian life should reflect that. Uh, Gerard uh, Hopkins kind of says that everything, and he goes on to talk about kingfishers and dragonflies and all these things, that, that they have one job, and that is to do the essence that dwells inside of them. And our essence is for Christ to dwell in us. And a very famous line in this poem, a third from the bottom, says, Christ, for Christ plays in 10,000 places. Like this idea that Christ is in you if you're a Christian, and you just do what Christians do. This idea that if you want a simple life and a lifestyle that has space and time for God, well, then you need to do the things that make your life simple. Because the definition of a spiritual discipline, as we talked about two weeks ago, and then I reminded you last week, I'll re-remind you here, the definition that we've been building up and saying, yes, that is a spiritual discipline, um, lines up with this idea that it is a activity. So a spiritual discipline is an activity, something you do, and it's to create space for God to act. And so today, as, as we talk about simplicity, and I, I'll give you a couple more discussion questions in a minute, um, if, if all you're hearing is like, oh, you should live a simple life. Oh, that's, that's nice. You should live, live a simple life to be simple. Cool. It's like, well, no, we're not living, we're not, I'm not preaching about simplicity for simplicity's sake. Simplicity as a discipline to create space for God to act. This is not a, a, like a self-help sermon that has nothing to do with God. No, simplicity for the means, for the means of simplicity for the discipline of creating space for God to act, taking things out of our life and reconfiguring them in such a way that we can put the most important things first. God, family, uh, acting out, uh, Christian disciplines, growing and learning, things that are really important to us. Brady Boyd, our pastor, who I, I realize that if you're kind of new to the church, you haven't seen Brady. You've never met this uh, figment character uh, because he's been on a, so every seven years, uh, he goes on a sabbatical. He actually gives all of us as pastors uh, a sabbatical. So he's taken his sabbatical right now, and he'll be back next week, as I said. But he's coming out with a new book uh, this fall called Addicted to Busy. And he t- he's going to talk about in this book the, the lifestyle of, of busyness and how we think we are always needing to accomplish something when in reality, if that is, we're just rushing around trying to accomplish things, maybe we're accomplishing less and we're not evaluating our life in such a way that we're putting the most important things first. And I think at the bottom of this 
idea of accomplishing things and being addicted to busy and always wanting to get things done is this, I think, I think at the bottom of this lies greed. And maybe you don't agree with me, but that's um, okay. I think that at the bottom of like why we as Americans um, are just so busy and wanting to do things all the time is, is really this idea of greed and wanting to become something that maybe we're not. If you Google image American greed, you'll come up with images of this, guys with money. I, I like the image at the bottom right, just some guy with a cigar burning a $100 bill. That's what I think of uh, when I think of American greed. <laughs> Credit cards. Richard Foster, uh, once again in his book, says that uh, he says this. He says that we often call covetousness ambition. Did you know that covetousness, it's a hard word to say for me, is a sin? Did you know that out of the Ten Commandments, commandment number ten is, do, thou shall not, or do not covet your neighbor's property, wife, things. Do not covet. That's a sin. And we, we don't talk about that one very much, do we? We're always like, oh, sweet, so-and-so's got the new thing, the, the, the new movie, the new car, the, the new phone. I got to get that because it's new. And it's just like, well, hold on. Are you coveting that? Next time someone's like, hey, that's cool. I'm going to go get one. Say, bro, that's coveting. That's sin. <laughs> but it's, such, it's so ingrained in our culture to, to covet, to want more and more and more and have what the neighbors, oh, someone else has this? Well, then I deserve this. I, I should get that. To covet, Richard Foster says, covetousness we just call ambition. Hoarding we call prudence. Greed we call industry. It's like, that's true. That's kind of a, gosh, yeah, we do that. As a society, we are very, um, if you've never been outside of the U.S. Uh, to any other country in the world, that is you know, the majority of countries, I think the average statistic is still somewhere around like the average person in the world makes less than $5 a day. It's like, wow, like I could, I could just ask anybody in here for five bucks and they if they had it, they'd probably give it to me. It's like, five, that's a day's wage in any other part of the world. Um, most other parts of the world, I should say. We're rich, and we, we constantly, as Americans, I'm guilty of this as well, just want more. And this idea of greed stands at the bottom of having complex lives, I'm going to argue. Here's what the Bible has to say. So here's a few verses about simplicity. Uh, it's kind of a shotgun approach to giving you a few verses um, so if you want to write them down, uh, you can. Be ready. Hebrews 13, Hebrews 13, 5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That was Hebrews 13, 5. Did you hear that? Like, be content with what you have. It's like, in America, that's almost like a negative. Like, so someone says, hey, just be content with what you have. And you're like, no, never. I need more, bigger, better. Like, I'm my ambition. And you're like, yeah, that's the way you should be. It's like, no. The Bible teaches something much more humbly and simply. Um, it's okay with, just be content with what you have. Jesus says in Luke 3, Luke three fourteen, be content with your pay. <laughs> what? Really? Like, Jesus said that? It's like, but, but I'm working this job, and I only get paid this much. Well, Jesus said, you know, whatever, be, be content with it. First Timothy 6, 6 through 9, but godliness and contentment is great gain. That was First Timothy 6, 6. And then a couple more verses in that. Verse 7 says, we, we brought nothing into this world. We could take nothing out of it. But if you have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. 
People who want to get rich fall into temptation, a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. That was 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 9. It's like, yeah, that's, we want to live these simple lives, but then I'm going to say greed gets in the way and just wanting, ambition gets in the way and wanting to become someone gets in the way and wanting to be relevant and up to date and checking things and multitasking and this complexity gets in the way and, and takes us away from creating space with God. And so this is once again why Richard Foster kind of says that this discipline is paramount with all other disciplines, that you, you won't have time for prayer or fasting if your life is so complex that you don't have time, if your life is, isn't simple. Uh, a few more verses. First uh, Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4.11 says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Like, really? Like, gosh. The Bible tells me to mind my own business? I didn't know that. I thought that was just my mom. Um, Matthew 6, Matthew 6, 25, this great passage where Jesus talks about, he starts off, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you drink or what to wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more for clothes? And he says, look at the birds of the air. Uh, They don't close themselves. They don't reap or sow or store away anything. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than them? And then one more verse, the final one I'll I'll mention today. 1 Peter 5, 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and that he may lift you up in due time. It's a convicting verse for me of of just humble yourself and, and let God lift you up in your due time. It's like, but well, I want to do this and that, and I want to, you know, I want to be big, and I want to be like Justin Bieber and famous and all this stuff. Well, just humble Justin Bieber. I don't know why that came out. <laughs> I really <laughs> Sunday school quote of the day. Joe, I want to be like Justin Bieber. <laughs> but isn't there there's something in all of us that wants to be bigger than we are and be have more and live better than we are? There's something in all of us that, that wants that. And this verse just says, well, humble yourself under God and he'll lift you up in your due time. This idea of simplicity. How many of you like to travel? When you travel, you travel light. Anybody? Yes. All the hands. Um, This is a little fanny pack. Um, It's a nice fanny pack, but it's a fanny pack nonetheless. And a couple years ago, Mill Missions uh, went on a mission trip. Anybody been on a Mill Mission before? Oh, look at all the hands. Cool. Uh, We went to India, I think two years two to three years ago. Uh, and all I took to India was this fanny pack. I felt so cool. Um, like just traveling so simply and it provided just what I wanted it to do. It provided this space for me when traveling to travel light, you could do more things. You could go more places. You're not lugging around things and concentrating on lugging your luggage from one place to the other. You're just traveling. You're just there. I have all my stuff literally on my hip right there. Um, I could help other people with their stuff. It pr- provided more opportunities to walk around and experience things. And it was just cool. Uh, and so I did that. And then I went on another mission trip. And I, uh, we, we went to Guatemala a couple, two years ago, I think. And me and my friend Bobby were in a competition of who could bring less stuff. Here's my friend Bobby. And we both showed up with fanny packs. And his fanny pack was smaller than mine. So he won. Um, I know, brutal, right? Um, and, and but the thing was, we did, it's like, once you start, once you bring, I mean, that's really minimalistic to do that, like to just go on a mission trip with nothing but a fanny pack. In fact, when I was in India coming back into the U.S., 
uh, in, through securities and customs, the guy got really mad at me. He was like, where's your, where's your baggage, sir? He's like, this is it. He's like, sir, where are your bags? He's <laughs> like, someone else carrying them for you? He's like, no, this is all I have. He's like, give me your ticket. And he like, looks at my ticket. You've been in India for two weeks, and this is all you took? Come here and talk to me. So I had to like, go talk to this guy. <laughs> so I know, really, this is all my stuff. I got some underwear. I got some stuff here. This is all I got. My toothbrush. I got to change the shirts. Um, anyways, me and Bobby, Bobby, I look up to Bobby as someone who lives a very simple life. Bobby is on staff here. At least um, he's in transition now, but he was the pastor of local. Uh, you guys know Bobby? He's spoken here at the Mel Sunday School a couple times. Um, and I talked to him this week because I just thought of this analogy. Here's Bobby, and there's a river behind him. He loves fly fishing. Whenever Bobby and I go fly fishing, he takes like his rod and a fly. And that's all the gear he uses when he goes fly fishing, just a very simple approach. Um, and I kind of asked him like this, this week, I was like, I'm going to mention that to Sunday school. You know, why do you do that? And I knew he had really good reasons why. And he says, well, at, at the heart of why I go fly fishing is to be in creation and, and worship the creator and spend time in nature and sit, just seeing and, and, and just being, you know, trying to be with God's creation in such a way that the pace is slower and he said, when he got, first got into fly fishing, he just had, it's just anyone's approach into anything. He's like, oh, you have to have all this gear, and you amass all this gear. And he said, that wasn't simple. That wasn't, it was complex, and just doing all these things to catch fish was, was like maybe in some way stressful, like all this, having all this stuff. And he said, I just, when I go out fly fishing, I just like to be in nature and with the creation and worship the creator and get my priorities straight and so for him, that's just doing things simply, including when he has fun, like just fly fishing. I want to do that, he says, simply in order to, because to, to, he says, I'm not out there to catch fish and to, you know, slay these fish. And to, um, he's, he's out there to spend time with the creator. And so if he doesn't have the right fly, he's not going to catch the fish. But he said, that's okay, because I'm not out there to slay fish. I'm out there, the, his words, not mine, slay fish. Um, He's not out there to slay fish. He's there to spend time with the Creator, putting his priorities straight. There's a famous analogy. I think Stephen Covey uh, may have come up with it, maybe someone else, but he's famous for talking about it. Um, And so you have this jar or any kind of container, and you have some dirt, you have some little rocks, and you have some big rocks. And if you ask someone, hey, can you put this, all the, the the big rocks, little rocks, and the dirt into that container, can you do it? They will just maybe go about it randomly, put the dirt in, put the little ones in, maybe put a few big ones in, and realize very quickly that, no, it doesn't all fit in there unless you kind of know the trick, unless you, the the life analogy is, unless you have your life priorities straight and you put in, does anyone know the answer? You put in the big ones first in this famous analogy. You put in the biggest ones, the biggest ones first, and then you put in the little ones, and they kind of fall into, down into the cracks. And then lastly, you can put in the sand, and it will, you shake it, and it all falls in. And wow, all this stuff actually fits when the priorities are set straight, when you, when you put the biggest things, the most important things in first. So I wanted to give you another discussion question. Uh, and this one, we just talked about what, what things do you want to get rid of kind of in your life uh, what things do you want to need to cut out or get rid of in order to make more space and time for God? But the other is also important. The, the, the other side of that is, is what things do you need to add to your life first? In that analogy, what are the big rocks things that you need to add to your life? If you're like, okay, I'm, I'm resonating. I, I realize that my life, just talking about simplicity, my, my life isn't that simple. I need to make it more simple. 
Well, let's reprioritize. Think about that. So as a table, uh, I realize this is another personal question, so um, feel free to share as little or as much as you want with your group. But what are the things you need to add to your life first? Ready? Get set? Discuss. I heard, I went around and talked to a few tables. Some people said, um, getting up early, spending time with the Lord. And then there's people talked about, well, is that a big rock thing? Or is that a pebble thing? What is that? Um, I think ultimately at the, at the top of our list as believers, as Christians, that, that of course time for God should be the biggest thing we need to add to our life first. Um, but then what, what does that look like? Well, what spiritual discipline, how does that look like in each and every one of your lives? I think that's where it plays out and this discussion question becomes very relevant. But ultimately we need to simplify things. And there's people, um, I'm going to mention just a guy in church history that really simplified things. So this will bring us to the nerd alert of the day. <laughs> Brought to us by this guy, St. Francis of... Cece, there he is in rags. He lived in the 1100s. Um, and at, that was at the point, if you know a little bit about church history, the 1100s, the Middle Ages, that's when the church really gets really big and it gets bigger and even more powerful. And um, St. Francis of Assisi uh, went to Rome, sees the bigness of Rome, starts hanging out with the, the poor begins preaching to the poor and becomes kind of a street preacher of, of sorts. And he amasses a following of people that will also give up things, live minimalistically, kind of take a vow of poverty. He, he takes a vow of simplicity. He's often known for uh, loving the creation. So he's, he's like the patron saint uh, in the Catholic world of like animals and the environment, and um, just this idea of worshiping the creator through uh, taking care of the creation. But really known for simplicity, especially in the 1100s when the people of the church and religion was just getting bigger and bigger and more and more powerful. St. Francis of Assisi takes this vow of poverty, begins preaching in the streets, amasses a following. Even today, that following is still around. It's an order, of course, the order of St. Francis or the Franciscans, it's an order that isn't just Catholic. There's Anglicans, Lutherans, Protestants who are influenced by St. Francis of Assisi in such a way that they would be considered Franciscans. Pretty interesting. Well, this guy, um, if you don't know, his, his real name is George Mario. George Mario. Um, and he is the Pope. And every time a Pope is elected, um, they usually take on a name. The Pope, uh, it's just kind of accustomed to take a new name, and then that will be your, your, your name for the papacy. And usually, Popes will take a name that kind of reflects their character, or a name that they, they kind of want their papacy to be known by. And so if a Pope, if, someone, if a Cardinal being elected to Pope wants to be, uh, kind of maybe reform the church, he may take the name Gregory, after Gregory the Great, that reformed the church. If a Pope wants to do a lot of missions, he might take a name like Patrick, after uh, St. Patrick of Ireland, who, who was a missionary to Ireland. If he wants to be a theologian, if like a Pope is like, oh, I'm going to grow the church and we need to, you know, be more theologically sound, then a, a, the Pope uh, the, might take the name Thomas, after St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, so this Pope, um, the Pope that was just elected last year happened to take the name Francis. So here's Pope Francis after 
St. Francis of Assisi. Now you know why he took that name. His real name is George Mario. Um, I just like saying that name. But he takes the name Francis in order to kind of maybe be in some ways like St. Francis. And so if you know anything about Pope Francis, you know that he is one who is like story after story in the news, he keeps humbling himself. I think one of the, one of the first stories I saw when this pope was elected was where this pope chose to live. Yeah, the popes can live in the apostolic papal palace, which is right next to St. Peter's Basilica in, in, in the Vatican and Rome. And it's a palace. Any, anything with the name palace in it is probably a pretty sweet place to live, don't you think? And so the Pope was supposed to live there, and right downstairs is the Sistine Chapel that he could use as his personal chapel. It'd be pretty sweet if your personal chapel was the Sistine Chapel, like the chapel Michelangelo painted. Don't you think it'd be pretty cool? And so all, like, all, your, all your bros would be like, bro, you're living in the palace, bro. How cool is that, bro? Um, you like got the Sistine Chapel as your own chapel, bro. How cool is that, bro? Um, but instead, this Pope, St. Francis, decides to humble himself. And, to, and to, instead of living in the palace... He lives in uh, the, get, the Vatican guest house, which is right south of the Basilica. It was built in 1996. It's not very cool. Um, some of you were probably born in that year. Um, it's just like, it's like probably in need of remodeling by now. It's not a palace. It's more of a guest house. It's very simple. Did you, did you see that news article when it came out a long time ago? I'm sure most of you did. Um, so the Pope, Pope Francis, decides to do that. And some people are like, oh, it might have just been a publicity stunt. I don't know. That's between him and the Lord. But his very, his papacy, taking on the name Francis, says something about how he is going to lead the Catholic Church. And I, th- I just think it's an honoring story to him, to our Catholic brothers and sisters, that at the head of the church, some guy who should be living in a palace, according to uh, Pope Customs, uh, decides to live and humble himself and live somewhere very simply in a, in a, in a guest house. And it's, it's not a palace. I think we need to hear more stories of people that are in great powerful places of wealth and prestige giving up things in order to live more simply. Um, and that's not very exciting. You know, we don't hear about that very often. I think the American dream is from rags to riches. And, the, the, you know, our ethos, our story as Americans is, oh, you know, how did so-and-so get to be the CEO of that company? Well, they started off as the janitor. Oh, wow, sweet. How cool is that? They rose to power from rags to riches. They worked their way up. They pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And here they are today. How great is that? That's, that's like the hero American story. And what we don't often hear, or when we do hear about them, they're just like, meh, kind of stories, is when someone who is powerful, like Pope Francis, gives up a a palace to live in and lives somewhere simply on behalf of living like Christ, on behalf of living in simplicity. So here's the last discussion question for you, hopefully a somewhat practical question, because it says, what are the practical ways we can be joyful and celebrate simplicity? What are ways, maybe you in your life, and everyone's life looks a little different, but how can you be joyful about celebrating simplicity? Because I think at the heart of the disciplines, hence the, the title of the book we've we call, kind of called our text, Celebration of Disciplines. Disciplines are kind of seen as like these, oh, these hard, painful things that we have to endure, but there's celebration that should go with that. So the discussion question, last one, uh, what are ways we can be joyful and celebrate simplicity? Discuss that at your tables. Ready? Get set. Discuss. All right, I'll interrupt you 
one more time. I realize that there's really good discussion questions going on. And so we could revert to those discussion questions right after we're done here. I just wanted to conclude us with, with an idea. And then uh, we'll probably dismiss a little early so you can get back to those conversations. But it's, it's this idea that the, usually the rich get richer. And we rarely hear stories of a rich, wealthy person giving away um, things that they have in order, not in order, just like, I think there's rich people giving away like chunks of their salary and money. It's like, oh, so-and-so just gave a million dollars. Like, wow, how cool is that? But they have a billion. And so what's a million to a billion to them? I guess not as much. Um, but we really do. In America, we have these stories of, of people uh, amassing wealth and, and doing great things. And that's kind of just our story. Like, we love to hear about those stories. We watch movies about those kinds of things. I think of, like, The Pursuit of Happiness, or Aladdin, even, or A Knight's Tale, or Annie, or just these ideas of, like, or even, I mentioned Bieber earlier. So, like, Bieber's story, his mom, Patricia Bieber, is, like, uh, they're poor. They're low-income housing. She's a single mom, and, and then we hear the story of this boy that gets better at music, becomes the, the pop star he is. And it's like, oh, wow, he's the most popular um, boy singer nowadays. Like, how cool is that, that he came from nothing, and now he's this great person? And we rarely, and if we do hear stories, <laughs> sorry, when we do hear stories of people giving away Great fun. Like they, ha- they amass wealth just to give it away. Um, like we kind of roll our eyes like, oh, well, what happened? Like we hear some of someone that's like downsizing. And it's like, oh, well, did they lose their job? Did they, you know, they, they get money taken away? Well, why are they downsizing? You know, what happened? What's the gossip? What's the story? And, and maybe as, as Christians, our response should be, well, they're, they're just trying to simplify their life. And they think that that is really important. I remember, I'll end with this last story. In college, thinking about a major and what am I going to major in? And what am I going to do with my life? And thinking about how, what's my career? How am I going to you know, make it through? And what am I going to do? I want to I do this and that. Uh, my youth pastor at the time, my college pastor, his name's Brian Dwyer, in Utah is where I lived at the time. He was, he got his degree in math, which is like super nerdy. And then he went on to get a master's in math, which is like double super nerdy. And we were in a conversation about like how the Lord had led him to be the youth pastor. And that's what he was doing at the time, full-time youth pastoring, had um, goals of wanting to plant his own church, which nowadays, which is years from that moment. And when I was in college, he's now a, a, a pastor in Utah and has this great ministry of campus churches. But anyways, we were talking and I asked him like, how did you become a youth pastor? What did God call you? And he's like, well, I had a lot of decisions to make when he finished his master's degree in math because he had a lot of job offers. And he said, I had a couple job offers. Starting wages were like 100, 200 grand a year. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I need to master in math. Um, and he was like, you know, I gave those things up and I, I, I finally decided and felt that the Lord called me to being a youth pastor. And so he gave up these, these careers of engineer jobs to be a youth pastor. And I just thought, how, at the time, I was just like, how crazy, like you could be making tons of money. And he's, he felt called to be a pastor. And it's like, wow, that's, we don't hear stories like that very often where someone leaves something, a life of complexity and and going after an ambition for a life of simplicity. And yet the church calls us to do that. Jesus calls us 
to live more simple lives in order to make time for him. So it's a convicting message today, I think. Um, so as we stop and as we pray, let's ask the Lord what he wants us to give up. And think the other discussion question was, what things do we need to add to our lives first? Practical things we could, decisions we can make now in our, in our college years or our 20s that will lead us to um, success in life that, that doesn't look like success in the world. It looks like a more simple life. So, Lord, we pray to you right now. We come before you humbly. We come to you simply, Lord. And we ask you to convict us to take things out of our life where things need to be taken out or cut out. And we ask you, Lord, to put things in our life first, the, the big things in our life that need to be first. Make you first, Lord, that our, that our simple lives can be such a great, beautiful thing to you because we've created space for you to act, for you to speak, for you to impart your spirit upon us. And that, that Lord, may we never live such complicated complex, multitasking lives that, that we would say, look back and say, man, I haven't spent time with you because I didn't have the time. Lord, convict us of that. Increase our time for you. Let us cut back on things, wealth and ambitions and multitasking in order that we might simplify our lives for you and for you alone, Lord. So we worship you. We praise you. You're a good God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday School.